This is the Chemical Reactions podcast from the team at Ruth Pedersen Public Affairs in Brussels. I'm Chris Davis, a senior advisor to Ruth Pedersen, and today we're looking again at what we can expect from the European Commission's Chemical Strategy for Sustainability. Today, it's what's likely to get banned, and on what basis, and through what procedure. Now, I'm a former member of the European Parliament, and I'll be asking the questions, but don't expect to get from me any answers. Fortunately, my two colleagues, both also senior advisors with Rudd Pedersen, do know what they're talking about. They're Kevin Bradley, until recently Secretary General of the International Bromine Council, and Steve George, an advisor to the aviation industry on the application of the REACH legislation. So thanks both for joining me. Before we start, you know, I just, Steve, Kevin, you know, I'm struck by the fact that when I was shadow rapporteur in the European Parliament dealing with REACH, Many people from the chemical industry, many different companies came to me and saying, no, this is terrible and we don't like this and we really don't need to have that. But during these podcasts, you've both come out with a view, first of all, the reach isn't that bad and we need it and the industry has adapted to it, but also that you know, there are a lot of chemicals out there which are seriously problematic and we need to be treating them with a great deal of caution indeed. So maybe the NGOs are right. Am I paraphrasing here? Am I, am I misinterpreting you? Or is that broadly speaking a summary of your position? Kevin? 10 years, more than 10 years on from reach, I feel sometimes when we're discussing this chemical strategy for sustainability, that it's like Groundhog Day, going back to the same question. And I'm, I'm wondering myself, what is it we're actually trying to, to do here? Is it that we are concerned and there are concerns out there that there's still a problem with you know chemical pollution still a problem with harmful chemicals in consumer products all of these things that are were used to sort of amplify the the launch of the chemical strategy for sustainability or is it the more practical and i believe more real real point here is that we have a very clunky bureaucratic often difficult and complicated process for dealing with concerns about chemicals, whether it's consumer exposure, industrial exposure, environmental exposure. So I'm, I'm tending to begin to come to this discussion more and more from the classical economic perspective, two words, effectiveness and efficiency. Is the policy that we have effective? I think it pretty well is. Is it efficient? That's the question. I think most people would say that the system that we've created is not that efficient. It could be improved. But to sort of still be arguing or debating that we have lots and lots of problems and that there's uncontrolled exposures going on out there and that consumers are in danger, we may be miscommunicating what the issue is. So I think there are others out there who completely disagree with me, but I certainly believe that we should be focusing on improving the efficiency of the overall process. Completely transforming the system. I mean, how, how can you make it efficient and simple? It's complicated. I absolutely agree that where there is a clear issue that a substance is getting in the environment where it shouldn't or affecting people's health where it shouldn't, we should do something about that. Is this process efficient does it do the job if necessary yes it does but it is slow and it is incredibly resource intensive 
it is resource intensive for both the authorities and for industry who have to deal with the authorities in terms of managing continued use where there's a case to do so. The problem with the processes today is they assume a far better understanding of all the variety of end uses and applications in all the complex supply chain. Understanding the diversity of uses really, really slows things down for authorities and for uh, industry. And that becomes very resource intensive to resolve, which means the authorities cannot go as fast as they would like with reducing risk. I looked at, at Article 17 of REACH before today's discussion, and this is the one that specifies the, you know, what, 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 what you can't do with chemicals, all the, all the various restrictions. It's immense, isn't it? I mean, I thought, but if I was just trying to, you know, open a shop and sell something, do I have to comply with all these regulations? If I'm buying products in from, from China or something, do I have to make sure that they're all conforming to the, to these, to these detailed requirements? Absolutely. Annex 17 is a long list. This is the list of restrictions, but you have to read it carefully because not all of them apply to it every case. So if I were to take the example of nickel, then nickel is absolutely banned in jewelry. If I were to look at certain restrictions, 28, 29, and 30, they ban carcinogens, mutagens, and reprotoxins, category one, in substances and mixtures sold to the general public. Whether or not a restriction applies to a particular company depends on what it says. Oh, well, that's easy then, isn't it? Kevin, you said, you know, it feels like Groundhog Day 10 years ago, but actually I'm thinking this is more like 20 years ago because it was 20 years ago we were where we are now because the commission had declared that it wanted a new chemical strategy, but it hadn't yet published the details of what became the REACH legislation. Now, I remember that as a simple politician, I tried to explain to people that the problem was that we had thousands of chemicals, but we didn't know their long-term effects upon health and the environment. And too often we only identified problems when they were already occurring. So the new strategy would reverse the burden of proof and require manufacturers to demonstrate that their substances were safe if they're to stay on the market or be introduced on the market. Now, is, is, is that still the commission's thinking or is it changing its approach and requiring more regulatory controls rather than the manufacturers to demonstrate the safety in the first place? Well, I think broadly speaking, the, the fundamentals haven't changed as you set them out there. Rather, what the commission is proposing is to, where it can, speed up the process. And one way to do that is extend the ability to take action on hazardous substances. And we can come back to what we mean by that, but let's say hazardous substances by extending the use of, and you just talked about this big long list, Annex 17, by extending this aspect of the REACH regulation to go beyond the current types of hazards. So carcinogens, mutagens, reprotoxins, and extend that to a further group of, of hazard properties. So endocrine disruptors, which we've heard a lot about, substances which are very persistent and mobile and are transported in the environment, extend it to these groups and in that way catch, catch a lot more harmful substances. In addition to that, the idea is to also start to group 
group um, similar substances. Now they can have the same hazard properties, they can have the same structural properties, and maybe even in certain uses that where they're using for the same use that these would be grouped together and then restricted as a group. The idea being there to avoid what um, people call regrettable uh, substitution. In other words, one substance is, is, is banned or restricted, but there's another similar substance which comes in and takes its place and it may have similar properties and, and therefore is you know, negating the, uh, the, the original restriction. So the, the commission really wants to expand that list uh, and then take a, a, a different approach uh, to that. Now, in all of this, it's very much a, a question of to what extent is that going to be feasible in, in reality? I mean, uh, I've seen commentary now which says we've had all of these proposals, but we've had no real discussion about the scientific basis for doing all of this. That's all that's happening now, but it's happening in, in a context where the commission administratively is working really hard, really hard to, to get its proposals together to revise the, the REACH regulation, which will include all of these things that we're talking about. And yet there are, you know, independent and including some member state authorities out there who are wondering, okay, we understand the need to increase the efficiency of this thing, but hold on a second, is this the right way to do this? So in a, in a short answer to your question, uh, I, think, I think the fundamentals have not changed. The fundamentals have not changed, but there is this impression that there's still a huge problem. And as I said at the beginning, I think our issue should be focused on what Steve mentioned, and that's data, data quality, and there, there's an issue there. And then how we can speed up the process effectively. Is what Kevin talked about, Kevin, is this the generic risk management approach? Yes, it is. Currently, currently applies, applies to CMRs, I think. What's one of the uh, carcinogenic, yeah. mutagenic, and reprotoxic chemicals, and really, really nasty stuff. The plan is to extend that, presumably to more quickly identify problematic chemicals. Exactly. Yeah, yeah well, that's the plan. A couple of things. On the, on the generic approach to risk management, they're proposing to extend CMRs in substances and mixtures sold to the general public to a wider range of hazard classes, which will have an instant uh, obsolescence effect on a lot of things in, in the stores sold to the general public. And they're also talking about extending that to professional uses, which are today undefined. Certainly, you know, painter decorators who are decorating your house or when you get a plumber in to fix the boiler, those sort of professional uses, they're not in a controlled industrial workspace. And I understand the commission's concern with those sort of cases, but it could also be extended to include things like uh, field repairs on something which is industrial, industrially controlled. So exactly how wide that goes is unclear at this time. On the grouping, the idea is to go faster by uh, grouping things together. But the reality is that uh, the restriction process, you need to understand what is the consequence of the restriction before you apply it. And to understand the consequence, you need to understand the uses in the supply chain. The more substances you have to deal with at a time, the harder work it is to identify the consequences of the restriction. And that may slow things down, not speed things up. So we have to be really careful. Are we going to end up banning things that don't need to be banned? 
That's a good question. Group restrictions may ban chemicals which are not currently in use today, but are being discouraged to avoid uh, so-called regrettable substitution. The purpose is if you group them together, then it stops industry swapping to a different substance within uh, the same group with a similar structure or similar hazard profile to avoid so-called regrettable substitution. So yes, we could be banning things which are not used today, purely just to try and go faster and avoid industry doing something cynical. And the the process of banning is is that the commission takes advice from various committees, I think run by member states, and pretty well follows their advice. Does anyone get a say in it? I mean, the the parliament, it doesn't automatically go through the European parliament. It's an implementing measure rather than a delegated act. So most MEPs, unless they really follow their standing orders very closely, Wait, would you get a chance to have a say at all? Yes and no. First of all, most restrictions today go through a public consultation and do get opinions from the so-called ECHA committees, these scientific committees. They offer an opinion and then the opinion goes to the commission. The commission does indeed then process it through comitology using powers delegated by the parliament, as you say, an implementing act. So the parliament does not have a further say unless, of course, the commission is overstepping its authority or not following the process. So that's how it works today. But there are some restrictions which go through a so-called fast-track process where the commission launches it, and this is very limited in scope. It must be, you know, consumer exposure with with very clear risk, which bypasses the ECHA committees and therefore the opinion forming as well. And the purpose is to go faster, not to avoid people's participation. But the facts are so clear that the participation is not needed. Now, as I understand, as things work at the moment, some chemicals have a permanent restriction on their use and others can be authorized for for certain uses under certain conditions. And that one of the proposals is that these slightly different streams are going to come together. Am I right? Restrictions, the authorities have to develop the evidence to uh, justify the restriction and also does justify any derogations from that restriction. And today, authorization is a general ban on continued use unless industry gets an authorization, which industry has to justify. And those authorizations are indeed time limited, but they are subject to review, so they can be extended. The, the idea of bringing the two systems together, if that is where they go, is that a generic restriction will be made. Some general derogations may be made, for example, for essential uses, the structure of which is still under discussion. And then industry can apply for further derogations on a time-limited basis where industry still does the work to justify. Okay. Tell me, as the process continues, and this is a process at the moment, we haven't actually got any firm proposals before us, have we? Not legislative proposals. Do you feel that as the commission goes through its consultation process, industry, and indeed the users of substances, feel they're getting a a chance to have a proper say? There was a workshop on the 3rd of March with over 500 participants. And it was very clear that downstream industry saw the issues and had certain concerns. Upstream industry had different issues and had different concerns. And other stakeholders, including civil society and member states, had their own concerns as well. It was quite a passionate workshop, and many of the concerns were indeed well communicated. 
but it was not clear at that time where it is going. And as you say, there is no legislative proposal yet. Looking at the way things are going, and we're speculating here, hmm. who's going to be most affected by these proposals? I mean, one hopes, of course, we're going to have what? We're going to take a giant step towards the Commission's desire to see a toxic-free environment. I'm not quite sure if it's possible to have a toxic-free environment, you know, natural substances and the like, but no, that's, that's, the, that's the stated long-term goal. That's the, you know, the big slogan. Are we, are we heading in that direction? And if so, what cost to industry and, and indeed to business, to users? As a kind of a short answer to the big question, who's most affected by this? It's going to be the downstream users, SMEs, and it's going to probably hit them with a bit of a shock, actually. Because as Steve's pointed out, even the three of us are kind of trying to understand which way this will go and, and try to sort of even see what the goal is, as we discussed earlier. I wasn't at that particular uh, workshop that Steve was at, but I read some of the reports of it. And it really does highlight the dichotomy between what civil society on the one hand desires, what regulators are trying to, to do in terms of, and I do believe that their focus is on trying to improve the process, so the efficiency. And then the real concerns of the downstream users, downstream sectors and, and upstream. Upstream, the chemical industry by and large will likely, and we did discuss this in a previous podcast, will likely respond as you'd expect them to do, which is to carefully review the types of chemicals they have in their portfolio, where the uses are, where the main businesses are, and then either decide, well, look, we're not going to supply that anymore, or we're going to reduce this over the next few years, or we're going to invent a new molecule which will take its place. It might be more expensive, but that's the way we want to do it. That's exactly what was said when REACH was introduced. A lot of the manufacturers of, of, of uh, chemicals produced in small quantities in particular said, you know, it's not going to be worth our while going through the, the whole uh, process. So you know, this will simply be taken off the market. Did that happen? I mean, and therefore, are we like to see it happen again? Anecdotally, I, can, I, I know it, it did happen. And, and also it led to the supply of that particular chemical being now dependent on an external third party, usually Chinese. So this did happen. For the metals industry, it's slightly different because unlike organic molecules, a metal is a metal is a metal. It doesn't change. It's immutable. It's what it is. And, you know, there in those cases, when you're talking about substitution, you need to find an equivalent metal or metal compound that has the same intrinsic properties or will deliver the same function that the previous one did. So it's not so easy to substitute. So again, for downstream sectors, and Steve will know this from the aviation sector and from aspects of the aviation sector, it's extremely alarming when those sectors hear these types of discussions because they really have very few choices, very few choices in terms of being able to move to the the tune of the, the, the regulators, if the desire is only to get rid of, of harmful chemicals. But I don't think it is. I think, I think, I think realistically, we're, we're really talking here about, I hope we're talking about improvement of the process. And I think just one last point is, and I think Steve has picked it up there earlier, we have this fast track process, but even with the fast track process, the commission still has to justify why it's taking action. So it has to have some scientific basis and evidence to ban 
either a single substance or a group of substances. So it has to have evidence for that, even if it takes fast track. I can imagine a situation in which the uh, legislation comes in and various bans are introduced or extended. And then all sorts of industries say, yeah, but we need a derogation for this because there's no alternative. You know, this, this product will go out of existence unless we have this substance. And, and, and there'll be so many applications for derogations that, I mean, someone will have to deal with them and will be simply swamped. Steve, is that a possibility? Yes. And that is one of the reasons why the original model for reach authorization would be that upstream industry would uh, apply for them covering a variety of downstream users to avoid each and every user having to apply for their own. Unfortunately, that resulted in many, let's say, uncertainties in terms of what are the uses and conditions of use in the authorization dossier. And when those author authorizations met the process and met the committees, they struggled to understand them in detail. The question is what level of detail is expected. Supply chains, as we discovered through COVID, are far more complex than anyone ever realized. And that's not gone away. Now, one of the ideas to fix that is to compel industry downstream users to provide data to ECHA when, when a substance hits, for example, this list of substances of very high concern, to advise things like exposure, conditions of use, environmental releases, availability of alternatives, and so on and so forth and pay for the privilege of providing that data so that authorities know what they're doing when they go through the next step and maybe even speed up the consultation by not seeking so much information. That is likely to fool them to thinking they have more data than they have because the likelihood that every SME manufacturer is providing that data seems to me to be very low. So I get very concerned about some of the ideas to try and improve. But the issue is we do have a process. It does work. It is clunky. It is very resource intensive. The question is, can we find a way to make it less clunky and resource intensive? I am so pleased I am not a member of the commission in DG Environment trying to work on this legislation because, you know, I'd be thinking, how do I avoid the unintended consequences? How do I make it effective and yet simple at the same time? How do I ensure that Europe in industry can prosper while at the same time you know, all the environmentalists who make perfectly valid points to me are, are, are satisfied that we are being ambitious in our proposals. Now, just let's discuss the, the timetable here. There's a consultation period taking place at the moment. I think the commission was hoping to come out with proposals by the end of the year. Yes. And the consultation is supposed to finish the middle of April. Yeah. So it's proposals by the end of the year, there'll be thousands of amendments, presumably in the European parliament and probably lots of objections in the European Council from different industry lobbies. So it's not going to get uh, determined in the lifetime of this commission, is it? It's one hell of a challenge to do so. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think this is extremely ambitious. I, I mean, I don't know, Chris, I'm, I'm just trying to remember what the, what the legal situation is if something isn't, isn't sort of done in the sort of time frame yeah. of the parliament, does that mean it falls or can they continue it, it, it in some way? No, it, it can continue. It doesn't fall, but in the parliament, you have to appoint a new rapporteur because maybe, maybe the rapporteur has lost the election and not stood for election. So the whole process is delayed. I can think of, think of examples now of legislation, which have been in the pipe over four years and still haven't reached that final conclusion. So, and, and that's more simple legislation than this one. When the proposals are published, I mean, obviously industry is going to be going over them with a fine tooth comb and at the moment. The septic position is it generally 
welcomes the approach that the commission is taking, but obviously we'll have concerns about the details. The devil is always in the detail. There'll still be opportunities, I suppose, for industry, industry, of course, can, can lobby members of the European parliament to try and amend commission proposals. It can lobby its own government to try and amend the proposals. So by no means is this all, well, not even close to becoming um, done and dusted. Chris, you, you, you said you, when you were dealing with REACH originally, you were inundated. I, I think even in this twilight of this parliament, let's assume that it's, it's next year, um, I, I can see this being one of the most heavily debated pieces of, of legislation. For That is, of course, unless other external factors, as we see, sadly, in, in Ukraine, start to interfere with the political agenda of the Commission. But assuming that doesn't happen, I, I, I don't know what you think, Steve, but I, I see this as being extremely controversial. Yeah, yes, I absolutely agree. It's going to be rather controversial. I did a paper last year essentially saying that fixing authorization or trying to improve authorization is going to be very difficult because many people and different stakeholder groups have different objectives in what they mean by improve it. We do not have a common understanding of the problem. Is this happening anywhere else in the world? I mean, are the Chinese and the Americans looking at Europe and saying, you know, they're the, they're the leaders. When it comes to progressive chemicals legislation, let's see what they do. We have this global discussion on chemicals and, and the environment under the UN banner. We've had a thing called the Strategic Initiative on Chemical Management, SICAM, that's been going for a number of years. And now that's being kind of replaced by more specific discussions, particularly in the sort of chemical handling area that's called the global harmonization system for for communication of information on chemicals and of course the commission is trying to kickstart that by doing something dramatic itself through the CSS. I don't know to what extent the Americans I mean there, there will be in the United States Environmental Protection Agency particularly under the current administration uh, the Biden administration they will be in dialogue with the commission on a regular basis. I'm sure they're kind of nodding at each other in terms of, yeah, this is the direction of travel, et cetera, et cetera. However, even in the United States, given the political polarity that exists, it's practically impossible, even with the revised, what they call Tosca legislation, that's the Toxic Substance Control Act, which predates reach by decades. Even with that, they're making very slow progress, both the Environmental Protection Agency, but also even at the political level. In fact, what you see most happening in the United States is not at the federal level, but you see a huge amount of activity at the state level. So talking about California, Washington State, Maine, New York, they're all taking initiatives, particularly when it comes to chemicals and uh, what they call harmful substances in consumer products. There's a big push on consumer products and chemicals in the United States. China, I mentioned that they have a reach-like legislation and they're taking their time. They're learning from what they see in, in the European Union, but they're taking their time and they will do whatever it is they need to do for their situation. They're not going to follow Europe in a blind sort of way, but they will, in principle, move in a direction to reduce the exposure of citizens and the environment to, uh, to harmful chemicals. Any final comments? Yes. In terms of reach-like regulations around the world, the two areas which uh, have most reach-like, the UK, because it copied from the EU in the first place, whether it stays aligned or not is another matter. 
and Turkey, which is a carbon copy. And therefore, you know, the EU will be a crucible in terms of the specific authorization restriction process issues, and we will see how they get applied elsewhere later. This has a long, long way to run. So thank you very much for listening, and thank you very much to Steve George and to Kevin Bradley. I'm Chris Davis, and we will be returning with the Chemicals podcast to continue looking at the development of this new chemicals sustainability strategy. Thanks very much for listening.